Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Heroes, Villains, and Redemption. My name is Jonathan Chan, and I'm so glad that you can join us today. Today, we will be looking at Poison Ivy. And before we begin, customarily, we start off with a video clip. Now, a little bit of a warning to those who may have little ones. Just give them uh, earmuffs, like so because there's some questionable language in the video clip. And so, uh, fair warning, here's the video clip. We'll be right back. Hey, now that it's just me and you, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about why one bestie would think of the other bestie as her worst nightmare. Not now. allowing myself to count on someone and then having them ditch me. But I was still planning on helping you. You were my one friend and I asked you for one favor, but instead you ditched me for the Joker who treats you like shit. I thought you could change, but I was wrong. You still live your entire life based on what he might think. So how do we fix this? I don't know. Whoa! All right, who is Poison Ivy. Well, Poison Ivy's real name is Dr. Pamela Lillian Isley. She was born in a wealthy family, a affluent family, with some little problem when she was uh, young. She had a slight green pigmentation on her skin, and so her parents, being loving as they are, abandoned her, isolated her, and avoided her. They were very loving parents, aren't they? weren't they? And when they have a bad day or they wanted to discipline Miss um, Poison Ivy, they would borderline use verbal and physical abuse on her. So you can imagine that Pamela Isley would seclude herself, isolate herself from the world. And her only companions, yes, you guessed it, were plants. She would talk to them, she would care for them throughout her whole childhood. So social interaction was next to none. So as she was growing up, when she became an adult, she moved to Seattle to study what? Take a guess. That's right, botany. And she became a promise, promising botanist. Unfortunately, because of her lack of social interaction, lack of EI, I guess, and uh, EQ, I mean, and uh, the lack of um, just experience with people, she was very naive. And so she trusted people quite easily, especially men. Men with repute, men with influence, men with power. In fact, she had relationships, abusive relationships with prof her professors. And two of those professors managed to convince her to have herself submit as a guinea pig to be their laboratory rat to try out their experiments. And some of their experiments resulted in her having special powers like controlling plants uh, and being immune to poisons from all the plants, but also it drove her nuts. She became crazy and insane and very moody. Therefore, because of these relationships, coupled with her abusive childhood, she hated everyone, especially men. 
and especially men who are careless with nature. She would conjure up poisons from plants to control men and to punish anyone who hurts nature, regardless whether they did it on purpose or not. So imagine yourself, you're walking down a park, you had a Kleenex in your pocket, it falls out by accident, and you didn't know, and you continue walking. Well, guess what? She would dish out some whoop-ass on you, maybe conjure up and control some plants, rip you apart, and you're dead. She was the judge, jury, and executioner when it came to nature, and identifies herself with pride as an eco-terrorist misanthrope. Harley Quinn, one of her friend, best friends, in fact, her only friend, made this diagnostic one time when they met for the first time. And Harley Quinn was a clinical psychiatrist. So I'll give, show you this clip right now. For once, you're gonna listen. You were a genius psychiatrist. Do you remember how you diagnosed me? Sure, a classic misanthrope with abandonment issues who befriends plants to avoid human intimacy. Nailed it! Frank, no. you helped me. I can be around people now. You know, I mean, I hate it, but I can do it without you. Well, welcome back. There's much to say about poison ivy. Uh, poison ivy's ecoterrorism, feminist activist, and misanthrope. But this morning, I would like to focus on one particular scene that I showed you earlier, right in the beginning. We can say much and look into the psyche that was nurtured by her upbringing and the abuse and exploitation from men. You know, we could go into those angles and threads, but I would like to focus on her only relationship with her only best friend, Harley Quinn. See, let me give you some context prior to that scene that I showed you. There was Harley Quinn, and Poison Ivy asked Harley Quinn for a favor. Harley Quinn says yes, but unfortunately, Harley Quinn didn't show up. Didn't show up to fulfill her promise. See, Poison Ivy trusted Harley Quinn and trusted her as a friend that she would be there for her. So when Harley Quinn didn't show up, Poison Ivy felt abandoned and was infuriated and felt rejected. And so she revealed to Harley that the reason why she hated people so much and feared relationships with anyone was because she found them untrustworthy and unreliable. And if she did have a relationship with anyone, she feared that she would be vulnerable to be abandoned again. She was abandoned by her parents. She was abandoned by uh, people who she trusted. In fact, she was exploited by them. And so a deep wound imprinted in her soul. And it's that this juncture I would like to expand on this morning. Here are the questions. Do any of us avoid relationships because we fear we will experience the immense emotional hurt if our friends abandon us? Or are you like Poison Ivy who have been hurt at least once by someone you trusted? And because of that hurt, like Poison Ivy, you avoid relationships to prevent that hurt ever occurring again? Or do you have relationships such as friends, colleagues, and family, but fear that these relationships might end? For example, do you fear that your friends might dump you for new ones? Do you fear that your spouse might dump you for a younger looking one? Do you fear that your children might abandon you forever after when they start their careers or start a family of their own? Or do people think you're a little too clingy or possessive and not willing to share your relationships with others, fearing that you might lose those relationships? 
How about the reverse? Do we know of people with abandonment issues, the fear of abandonment? How can the gospel redeem poison ivy and those who are like her? How can the gospel help us who know of people we love that have the fear of abandonment? Let's begin. You see, I challenge you, go to Google right now on your phones or on your tablets or on your computer and look up fear of abandonment. There are a whole host of resources listed to give us various steps on how to overcome the fears of abandonment. Now, I've done some of your work for you. I've looked at uh, many resources. Uh, I believe I, know I checked out 30 websites and there are some common themes in all those 30 websites. And I'm going to provide you with those common themes in, I'm coming up next. I'll list out the steps, the common steps, but also I'll provide a perspective on how each step connects with the gospel to know how the gospel provides us with the redemption we need from the fear of abandonment or to help others who have the fear of abandonment. You ready? Step one, knowing the why by understanding our past. The most important thing the most important step is to revisit one's past, to take a look at where the initial first wound of abandonment happened. When did it happen? How did it happen? What spurned that moment? And why did we feel abandoned at that time? How did that experience affected us? What was it that was lost during that time of abandonment? And what did we need during that time? Granted, and I completely agree with you, revisiting past hurts, regardless whether it's the fear of abandonment or not, is probably the last thing we, all of us want to do. But for the gospel to provide us with a healing and redemption, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to enter into our souls and heal us with the power of the resurrection that Jesus made available. See, the healing that Jesus provided, the healing that Jesus provides, starts with journeying with us in our pain, past and present. The reason why Jesus had to enter into this world, experience the sufferings that we endure in life, and endure the worst suffering humanly possible through his crucifixion, was so that he can relate with us and provide healing that is truly relevant for each of us. So he does not wipe out our past, no matter how much we really wish that he would, but he heals our past as long as we allow his spirit to enter into our past, reveal to us the wounds, no matter how hurtful they are, and allow him to heal those wounds. See, there was an, there's an old saying that broken clay jars is what he wants so that the light can shine through. And we need to be broken. We need to break ourselves apart, revisit our past, and allow the light of Jesus to shine through to heal it. Step two, recognize the signs that trigger our fears. All right, when a friend doesn't call you back or text you back or WhatsApp you, whatever, how do we feel? When somebody says something and they promise to us that they're going to do something for us 
and they don't. How do we feel? When our best friends, even our spouse, forgets our birthday, how do we feel? Or when our friends suddenly call us in the last minute saying that we're too busy, how do we feel? Do we feel enraged? Or do we feel rejected? Do we feel irritated? Or do, or do we feel withdrawn? Do we feel like we just want to be disengaged because we feel helpless and we leave? Or what happens when our boss criticizes us? Or what happens if our partner criticizes us? See, these are the hot buttons that trigger our abandonment issues. It might trigger, and I'm sure that for those of you who have loved ones who have a fear of abandonment, you might be, you might say, yeah, actually, those are the type of scenarios where people get triggered and have this fear of abandonment. So how can the gospel speak into that and speak into those triggers? Because many times when we are triggered this way, and many times when we feel abandoned because of those scenarios, I wonder if it's because that our sense of worth goes down a notch or even many notches. That we fear or that, we, that suddenly we start to accuse ourselves when our friends forget our birthdays or do not call back, that our sense of worth goes down a few notches. Well, here's a passage that comes, up, comes to my mind when I hear about worth. It's found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 to 10. It goes like this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. For the, now, about the triggering. Part of the healing process the gospel provides is to remind us that we were worth dying for. And if Jesus saw us worth dying for, how much more does that tell us that he will not abandon or reject us, regardless of how we see ourselves or how others see us? Jesus said his death is finished. What does that mean? What is this it? What did, he, what did this death finish? Well, I believe one of those things is the constant burden and anxiety of seeking approval from others, and especially from God. See, Jesus completed it by his sacrifice. Through his death, he made known to us and the world that we are all worth dying for. All of humanity was worth dying for. We don't need to fear rejection, abandonment, and we don't need to submit to those inner voices saying that we aren't lovable or we are worthless. We are loved because Christ died for us. And so, step two is an important one. When we feel triggered, when that trigger is coming, when our friends do not text us back, or when the friends do not invite us to play volleyball or have dim sum together, and then we realize that you know they actually invited other people, and we feel hurt, and we feel rejected, granted, those are, good, those are honest feelings, remind ourselves. Meditate on these words. You were worth dying for. Jesus loves you. Remind yourselves of that. Step three, break patterns of traumatic reenactment. This is an interesting one. I was reading through this one and it was found in half of the articles that I read. 
So the only way to explain this is probably a quote. Here's a quote from one of the articles. Quote, bystanders are often perplexed by how the abandoned person feels compelled to recreate dynamics that elicit emotional pain. This cyclical behavior is called reenactment, a subconscious attempt to resolve trauma. Reenactment is a visceral response to the memory stored in the body's arousal system. When present day situations trigger abandonment, such as you know, like what I mentioned before, when the friends do not invite you to dim sum, but invite other friends, that person instinctively looks to the past for instructions on how to act. Typically, people will cast themselves in the victim role and position themselves in relationships to be discarded and abused again." End quote. So the passion that comes to my mind in this, with regards to traumatic reenactment, is this. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 to 11. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who call you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Old habits are hard to break. In the concept of abandonment, in the concept of the uh, step three of the reenactment, many of the habits of going back to the coping mechanisms that we're familiar with when the triggers kick in are hard to break. Some of these habits could be reclusiveness. Some of these habits could be self-blame or demoralizing oneself, thinking that we're worthless. The gospel tells us in 1 Peter, in this passage that we read, to resist that temptation, and that temptation will go away. The more we resist and take hold of the freedom of the gospel that Jesus has made available, to remind ourselves of the grace that God has given us, and remain hopeful to fix our hope and our eyes on the restoration, He will make us strong, firm, and steadfast against any fear of abandonment. Amen. Step four, stop building a case against yourself. The passage that brings up to, brings up to my mind is this one found in Romans chapter eight, verse one. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Full stop. Amen to this passage right there. Uh, people who fear abandonment live defensively. They are hypervigilant, always searching for signs of disconnection to prepare themselves for rejection. Do you know somebody like that? Or maybe you are like that. They expect to be discarded. A history of abandonment creates an emotional blueprint for how you see yourself. Healing will challenge us to think differently about ourselves. We must stop gathering data to prove that we are insignificant. For instance, at social gatherings, do we filter people's words and body language through a negative lens and use it as evidence against ourselves? Like if somebody made a comment about, oh, like uh, look at uh, like nice hair. And then, but then we think that nice hair was a facetious comment of sarcasm. And really they like in our minds, we instantly think that what they really meant was I have horrible hair. Are you aware or are we aware of the frequency with which we accuse ourselves of being worthless? 
God does not condemn you or me. So neither should we condemn ourselves. We must break our agreement with the judgments of our abandoners. Confront those lies. Don't allow ourselves. Stop building a case for ourselves and stop looking for, the, for those words and trying to filter out and trying to read too much into things of what people say to wonder if they are actually um, being mean. Step five. Don't downplay your pain because Jesus does not downplay your pain. Here's what I mean. Matthew 15, 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Have we ever said to ourselves, it wasn't a big deal. People have it far worse than me. I shouldn't be upset. Trivializing our pain is actually dishonoring ourselves. A critical part of healing in our abandonment, our fear of abandonment, is to acknowledge the depth of our emotional injury from the first time that it happened to us. Jesus cared for his people. He had compassion on them. Compassion meaning from the depths and the depths of his bowels of his body to empathize with these people who he see. And so if he values and is concerned about our pain, should we not be concerned of our own pain as well? Let's not avoid that. In order for healing to work, in order for Jesus to heal us, to enter into our space to heal our hurts and wounds of abandonment, we need to not downplay ourselves. Because when we do, when we downplay, we are actually putting up a wall against Jesus saying, no, Jesus, I'm okay. I'm all good. But Jesus says, you're not all good. Let me in. Allow me to heal you. Step six, challenge shame. Many painful emotions accompany the aftermath of abandonment is shame. It seems to demoralize all of us. Of course, it's easy to personalize abandonment, but struggling with abandonment issues does not make us inadequate or weak. It means that we are human and have been profoundly hurt. See, here's a passage that comes up to mind when I read this step. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Then another passage is found in 1 Peter 2.6. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and then one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Ever had this voice in our minds, Whenever we feel a fear of abandonment, saying that, oh, you're so weak, like, come on, man up or woman up, right? Stop being a child. You're like, you're not that bad. You're, you're just, uh, you're just overreacting. Like people like are not going, are not going to like this. You're so weak. Like uh, you're so sensitive. No, that is actually accusing. Those voices are accusing us of shame. 
and it blocks the healing process. It actually blocks Jesus from healing us. We have to acknowledge that this hurt is legit, that when we feel abandoned, that we feel hurt, that when we have these wounds, that these are legitimate wounds. And we have to believe and we have to allow that Jesus to come in and to heal it, heal our shame. Jesus conquered the most shameful thing when he died. He went to the cross, the most shameful punishment ever for any human being. And in that cross, it gave us the freedom from this shame. You see, Satan, his nickname is accuser. And he loves to accuse and lie to us that we are hopeless case, that we are just weak, that you have to man up or woman up. But Jesus says, no way, you're not. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who defeated shame. Trust in him, and he promises that no one will be put to shame, for he has conquered shame. Amen? Last step, the seventh step. Be compassionate to yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus says. See, Jesus also believes in self-care. He does not want us to continually to go and say to ourselves, we're not that important, we're not that of a priority. Uh, like our the feelings, it doesn't matter about what, how we feel, it matters about how they feel. No, when we believe in the gospel and believe that forgiveness is available, we ought to forgive ourselves as well. Sometimes, many times, in the fear of abandonment, we do not forgive ourselves of these types of feelings, of these types of hurts. We feel that we should be, you know, be a little bit more stronger, be more bolder, and just feel sore for ourselves for not being able to conquer our fears. No, forgive yourself. Be able to forgive yourself because Jesus forgives you. You forgive yourself as well. Let me affirm you that forgiveness does not exist if we cannot forgive ourselves. Let me repeat that again. Forgiveness does not exist if you cannot forgive yourself. Because if you cannot forgive yourself, it means that you do not believe in forgiveness. That you are forgiven when you repent and turn back to Jesus. That's when you believe in that, then you should be ought to believe that you can forgive yourself as well. And so the last important step is to be able to forgive yourself. To forgive yourself of, these, of feeling guilty, of feeling hurt, of feeling... The, no, those are legitimate feelings. And so do not accuse yourself of being weak and learn to forgive yourself of whenever you feel that way. In conclusion, the fear of abandonment comes in many forms, right? Some of us may not notice abandonment issues, but deep inside, we all have the fear of not being loved. For poison ivy and for us, the gospel provides us redemption because Jesus first loved us and still loves us regardless of where or what we've done. Now, for some of us who may not truly have abandonment issues, but we do know of people who do, these seven steps, we should actually uh, relay it to those who we love, who do have a fear of abandonment. I think, I believe that one of the most uh, important steps that we are to convey to our loved ones who may have that fear of abandonment is you say to them and remind them that Jesus saw you worth dying for. So I want to leave with you this last passage. It's found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
for you, brothers and sisters, who may feel abandoned, who may have hurt, been hurt by someone you love, by someone you trust, for those who may know of others who may have been hurt in relationships. You may know someone who is divorced, who, someone, who has a spouse that left him or her for another or just abandoned them. Or you have, may know of people who have friends who have abandoned them. May you use this verse to kick off the healing process in which the gospel provides. Amen. Till next time, have a blessed week, and I will see you next week as we embark on another comic book hero. Bye now.